Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're talking about the substance and the sweetness of the story of the Bible. Um, and we've began in the book of Genesis. We've made our way all the way through the Old Testament following the main theme. And then last week, we finally met Jesus. And for uh, this week and next week, we're going to look at the life and the ministry of Jesus. And sort of the theme of this series that we've been talking about, the story of the Bible can be broken up into sort of three movements. Number one, creation and commission. Then into rebellion and beginning the process of redemption. And then ultimately into a new creation and a new commission. And we are in the the story of redemption. This is the primary part of uh, the Bible. And last week, like I said, we were introduced to Jesus. And the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is God in flesh. This is something we need to understand. Jesus isn't a prophet. He isn't just a guy like uh, uh, Jeremiah or Isaiah or Daniel um, or Samuel in the Old Testament. Jesus isn't a prophet. Um, He isn't an angel or a messenger. He's not a created being from God sent to earth with a message. He is God in flesh. Uh, the, The Bible teaches that we worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, not broken up in three different ways, not even broken up in three different ways that we could articulate or explain. What we, how God has revealed himself to us is that he is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus came to earth to reveal to us the plans of God and the heart of God. And last week we began talking about that, that Jesus came to fulfill the original plans of God. He didn't just come to fulfill prophecy. He didn't just come to teach better living. He came to complete the plans of God. Jesus said it like this, quote, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Jesus fulfills the law and prophets in four ways. I'm going to talk about it quickly. We didn't talk about this last week, but I think it's really helpful. Um, one, he, talks, uh, he fulfills the law and prophets personally. Jesus lived a sinless life. He kept all of the laws. There are not just 10 commandments in the Old Testament. There are hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament. Jesus kept the law perfectly. He never sinned. And Jesus not only kept the sort of the letter of the law in the sense of what the words on the page say, Jesus also taught the spirit of the law. That's why he would tell the Pharisees, like, you think you're keeping the law, but you're not actually keeping the law. Because there's a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. So Jesus fulfilled it uh, personally. Secondly, he fulfilled it prophetically. Of all the hundreds of prophecies around the Messiah, Jesus fulfilled every single one. And we talked about it last week. Jesus didn't just fulfill prophecy. It wasn't like Harry Potter where, like, could this be the chosen one? Is this who we've been waiting for? No, the reason Jesus fulfills all the prophecies is because he's he's walking out the plans of God. This is what the Messiah is going to do, and Jesus was doing that. Third, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets punitively. Everyone say punitively. It's a, a nice big word. It doesn't mean small. It means he took our punishment. The law requires punishment for sin. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. And even though Jesus was perfect, he took the punishment for all of humanity's sins. 
And then Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets powerfully through his people. Jesus will send the Holy Spirit to empower his people to continue his work. So when Jesus makes this statement, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and prophets. There's depth in that statement alone. That he fulfilled it in every aspect of the idea. Now, not only did Jesus come to fulfill God's plan, he also came to reveal God's heart for the whole world. And that's what I want us to consider tonight. I've titled this message, The Image of the Invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Jesus comes to earth to reveal to us not only God's plans, but also God's heart. Who is God? How can, what does he behave like? How does he act? How does he treat people? And we see Jesus doing this in three ways. Um, We see it through his mission, through his message, and through his method. Come on, somebody, more alliteration. I'm on fire. Last week I nailed it with the alliteration. The first part of the message, alliteration. Now we've got the mission, the message, and the method. Here's what we're going to talk about. Jesus' mission is to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' message is to deny self, take up your cross, and follow me. And Jesus' method is through meetings and miracles. We're going to talk about Jesus revealing God's heart, okay? Next week, we'll talk about the fullness of God's plan for redemption and how that works. Tonight, we're just showing in his life how he reveals God's heart. Now, in almost every encounter that Jesus has in the pages of Scripture, in in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are four biographies on the life of Jesus, in almost every encounter, we see these three things on display. In almost every encounter that Jesus has with an individual, you can see his mission, you can see his message, and you can see his method. And I sort of want us to zero in on one story where we see this happening. So Mark chapter 1 beginning in verse 40. It says this, Now a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, I like this verse, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came from every uh, came to him from every direction. A woman from our church about a year ago came into the church who had was dealing with a twenty year old shoulder injury. She had tried everything to heal this injury, and she constantly dealt with pain from this particular accident and this injury. And for twenty years, nothing worked. And she came in, it was a random day, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, she came onto our campus, and a few pastors on our staff prayed for her. We went into Pastor Jim's office, and we prayed for her. When she left that day, she said by the time she got to the parking lot, she began to feel different. By the time she got home, she was pain-free, and for over a year now, she's been pain-free. We prayed for her, and this woman's shoulder injury that she's been dealing with for a couple decades was miraculously healed. 
On another note, my brother Trevor has dealt with his hip pain for the last five years. Excruciating pain with no relief. The doctors had no uh, reason for it. They couldn't explain why it happened. Um, and he couldn't find any sort of uh, uh, relief for his pain. Um, those same pastors who prayed for that woman have countless times uh, prayed for my brother Trevor. And he was never healed. In fact, he just had to go through, and one could argue, but that's not the point I'm trying to make, but he had to get hip replacement surgery in order to deal finally with this pain. They said when they got inside to do the surgery, he's, he's 27 years old, um, and one of the reasons they didn't want to do the surgery is because you're young, you're going to have to get multiple hip replacements throughout your life because they don't last that long. Usually they do them on like 80-year-olds and like we'll give you one and you'll probably be good. When you're 20, you're going to have to get a few. They said when they went inside that the, the ball in his hip was crumbling. It was falling apart. It was, there was like almost nothing left. And yet, over constantly praying for his healing, um, we didn't see any healing. Why do I bring that up? Well, I think sometimes we ask questions like that. Why does God do the things the way that he does? Why does he heal some people miraculously and not heal others? How come some people out of the blue get cancer diagnosis, we pray, and they get healed, and other people get cancer diagnosis, you pray, and they never get healed? Why is it that some things happen one way for people and some things happen a different way for other people? I think this is a question that a lot of us ask about God and the way he works and what he's doing and why he does certain things. Jesus came to show us the heart of God. And to answer for us a lot of complicated questions about who God is by revealing God to us. Now from the beginning we've seen as we've traced this storyline throughout. God's desire has always been to be with, to dwell with his creation. But sin makes it complicated. God's desire is for a relationship but humanity broke that relationship. So people were forced to see God from a distance. Remember, he was in the innermost part of the temple, and very few people ever accessed him. His goodness and grace was seen to the nation of Israel, but was rarely experienced too often by individuals in a deep personal sense. But Jesus comes and shows us that God's heart is for individuals. And we see that, like I said, in those three ways. The first way I want to talk about his mission, to seek and to save the lost. Now, this story is interesting. We're told about a man with leprosy that Jesus heals. Now, leprosy was an incredibly contagious skin disease that would cause people to be forced to live in isolation or with other lepers, and they would, it would ultimately kill them. Uh, it was an incurable disease at the time. So it was, a, it was a death sentence of isolation and ostracism. People were not allowed to enter the city. They couldn't see their family, and there was no way to get better. If you got leprosy, you said goodbye to everybody you loved. You moved outside of the city where you would slowly and painfully body literally fall apart, and you would die. It destroyed their whole life. And in this story, Jesus breaks all the rules. He goes out of his way to see a leper. We're told that he cares for him. He has compassion on him. He talks to him. He heals him. And notice that not only does Jesus heal him, but he touches the man with this contagious disease. Right? Jesus, in fact, throughout his ministry, he would do a lot of miracles. Some, some of them he would do long-distance miracles. Like somebody would be like, hey, my, my servant is sick at home. Can you heal him? And Jesus is like, yep, it's done. I don't even need to see the guy. 
Now this guy, with the super contagious sickness, Jesus shows up, not only heals him, and he could have done it from like six feet away, right? Like, because everyone knows six feet away, like, all right, we're good, I'm safe, now you're healed. But he doesn't, right? He gets up close, he touches and heals him. And notice, when Jesus touches the man that is sick, the man gets better, Jesus doesn't get sick, right? When Jesus touches the sickness... Jesus doesn't get sick. In fact, the person with the sickness gets healed. And this is the heart of God. God came to seek and save the lost so that those that are sick and lost could be healed and find life. And Jesus would go through great lengths to find people to seek and to save those people that are lost. Now that phrase, seek and save the lost, is Jesus' self-proclaimed mission. Jesus says, I have come and the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now the word seek, it's probably not a word we use that often. We might use look, but seeking is like more intense than that, right? When was the last time you were like, oh, I'm just, I'm seeking something. <laughs> I'm seeking my car keys. Where are they? Like it's, it's, it, it speaks of like a deep searching and longing for something. And Jesus left heaven came to earth through the human entrance into earth, lived in obscurity for 30 years, and then would go out of his way to encounter individuals. Over and over again, Jesus, think about the woman at the well in in Samaria, where Jesus says, I have to go to Samaria. Think about sick Lazarus as he's miles away, and he comes uh, uh, to raise Lazarus from the dead and to comfort his sisters. Think about all of the stories where Jesus, out of the way, breaking uh, uh, cultural norms, going out of his way into places that uh, uh, Jews wouldn't go or that rabbis wouldn't go, and Jesus would go out of his way to encounter individuals, to seek. But then he also says he has come to seek to save. This implies that people need saving, right? It also implies that Jesus has the means to save. Are you hearing me? Like if if somebody needs to be saved, that means that they're in distress or they're drowning or they're lost or they're broken. But then if Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save, that means he has exactly what's necessary for their salvation, And Jesus does so for the lost, he says. Being lost is something you can't fix on your own. As soon as you fix it, you're no longer lost. Right? Like, oh, I'm lost. Okay, I'm not lost anymore. You fixed it, you're not lost anymore. But as long as you're lost, you're incapable of fixing it. Right? I know that's kind of like random logic, but that's what I'm going with tonight. To be lost is to be helpless. Anybody been lost before? One of my earliest memories is getting lost. Isn't that funny? One of my earliest memories, I was less than five because we moved to Florida when I was about five years old and we were still living in California and I have this, I was probably three or four and I have this memory of being on the beach. There was some event and uh, there was a half pipe on the beach and I remember watching skateboarders on the half pipe and then I turned around where I thought my mom was and, and now like she tells me the story, she was literally right there. But I turned around and looked and didn't see her and just panicked and began to just wander. And just was like on the beach and it's like this huge event. And then finally like the lifeguards found me and they brought me up to like the lifeguard tower. And I remember uh, like vaguely sitting in the lifeguard tower where my mom came and found me like a while later. When I early, like when you're lost, it's pretty, it's scary, right? Like I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do. And as Jesus has come to seek out those that are lost 
and to find them and bring them in to life. And that's what he does with this person. So that's his mission is to seek and save the lost. The second thing I want us to see is Jesus' message. And his message is simple. Deny self, take up your cross, follow me. After Jesus heals this guy, he gives him instructions. He tells him to, uh, to follow the law for cleansing. Now, this would re- be in reference to Old Testament law. But after a leper claimed to be clean, they needed to present themselves to the priest. And the priest would do an inspection to either confirm that they are clean or to tell them, sorry, bud, you're still sick. you got to go back to your leper colony. And it wasn't a free-for-all. After this guy was healed, it wasn't a free-for-all, right? Jesus doesn't say, okay, you're healed. Go do whatever you want. Your life's back. He gave him very clear instruction. He said, go to the temple and present yourself with the offering. And then also I like how he says, and don't tell anybody what happened. The guy does what it seems like half of it right. He's like, I'm telling, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm going to literally tell everybody. I like how it says that he just told him freely. Like there wasn't any like siren going off in his mind. Like didn't Jesus today not to do this? Remember that guy that touched you and healed you, told you not to do something, um, and now you're just proclaiming it freely like he didn't say anything at all? But he did half of it right. But the point I'm trying to make is that after he was healed, after he was saved, it wasn't a free-for-all. Jesus meets people where they are, but he doesn't leave them there. Jesus doesn't just seek out the lost. He's not like, hey, you're lost. Whoa. Good luck. Let's do your thing. Just stay lost. Jesus seeks to save the lost. It's been said that the gate to God or gate into relationship with God is wide, but the way is narrow. The invitation to follow Jesus is for whoever. But the direction is not just do whatever you want. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, that's a huge, a huge broad invitation. Anyone, right? Raise your hand here if you're an anyone. All, like anyone, that's all of us. That's everybody. Anyone desires to be my disciple. And that is especially impactful in their culture because the discipleship, discipleship to a rabbi in their time would be for the elite. It would be like the Ivy League school. It'd be like getting into the Ivy League, you would have to be like top of your class all the way through middle school, high school, and then get into some uh, prestigious school. But the problem was there's not very many of them. Right? There's not a whole lot of Ivy League schools. There's just a handful. They're only taking a few applicants each semester, and you better be the absolute top of your class if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to follow a rabbi and learn uh, uh, how to, like in that culture. And Jesus, he shows up and he goes, hey, if anyone wants to be my disciple, it's a huge wide gate, right? Anybody's welcome to be my disciple. But then he gives specifications. He says, let him deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Anyone, the invitation of Jesus is for anyone and everyone. It's not exclusive. But he calls us to deny ourselves. The invitation, although it is for anyone, there is specific direction that you must head in. Jesus doesn't teach universalism, which teaches that all roads lead to God. Jesus also doesn't teach on universal reconciliation, 
where his sacrifice will cover those that believe and those who don't believe. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, there's a direction you have to walk in. And one of his disciples would say like, hey, what's the way we're supposed to go? Like, okay, you're saying we, we got to go your way. What, what's the way? And Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Follow my life. Follow my pattern. Follow my example. Every individual must choose to trust in Jesus. And then the third thing he says is follow me. The message of Jesus is an invitation into a relationship. It isn't about just being forgiven. It's about entering into friendship with God. Can I tell you tonight that relationship with God isn't just about being forgiven. God forgives you of your sins. Through faith in him, all sins are washed away. But the point is not just so that you can be forgiven. It's about entering into friendship with your creator, relationship with a God who knows you and loves you. And too many Christians settle for just like, well, I'm forgiven. I'm good. Like, I'll get into heaven, I guess. No, no. God wants to intimately know you now and reveal himself to you now. It's about friendship with your creator and allowing us to lead uh, allowing him to lead us as the people he wants us to be into the places he wants us to go. This is the process that we would call sanctification, where Jesus transforms us to be more like him. Jesus is our pattern that we are to follow and become like. Okay, that's the goal. Jesus reveals God's heart, and he reveals to us that he is the pattern that we're supposed to follow and become like. Now, this isn't Jesus' only message, Right? Jesus taught a lot in the, in the biographies. In fact, he's called teacher most often in the Gospels. More than anything else, they call him teacher. Jesus taught on a lot of different things. He taught on life, death, sexuality, religion, politics, heaven and hell, family, work. He would talk about all sorts of things. He would primarily talk to three different types of people. He would talk to sinners he would talk to seekers, and he would talk to the self-righteous. I am on fire with alliteration, okay? I'm just saying. You guys just, it's pretty impressive. It's just, God gave me a gift, the spiritual gift of alliteration. Anyways, um, he talked to sinners, right? Think about the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people like that. He would talk to sinners. He would talk to seekers. Think about the people that are searching for bread, that follow him, and, and Jesus feeds 5,000 men and women, or 5,000 plus men and women with bread and fish, and they're looking for something. They want to see a miracle. They want to see God do something. He would talk to the seekers, and then he would talk to the self-righteous. Think about the Pharisees, the ones that they, they didn't think they needed him. And in every account, Jesus would encounter those people, and depending upon the audience, it would determine how that message was presented, but the gist of his message, regardless to who he was talking to, was the same. You are far from God. Come to me and you can find life. Over and over, that is essentially the message of Jesus. Okay, point number three. You guys with me? I'm almost done. Point three, let's talk about the method. His method is through meetings and miracles. All right, we're talking about how Jesus reveals the heart of God. And he reveals the heart of God through his mission to seek and to save the lost. God loves lost things. God wants to find lost things. He wants to allow them to have the life that he created them to have. And he reveals God's heart through his message. Hey, even though you're far from God, if you, through faith in Jesus, you can have right relationship. If you would deny yourself or repent and take up your cross and follow me, you can find life. And then 
we see his, God's heart through his method, his meetings and miracles. Jesus does both with this encounter with the leper, right? He meets an individual where he's at. He's in his leper colony, and we're told that the guy called for Jesus' attention, right? Hey, there's a few accounts of the story, and we're told that this guy yells, Jesus, like, come over here. Please come talk to me. So he goes over. He meets an individual where he's at, and then he performs a miracle that changes his life. And Jesus would do miracles to display the power of God and to validate his ministry. Right? Jesus shows up. Think about Moses going into uh, uh, Egypt. Right? He shows up and to display that Yahweh is the God of gods, that Yahweh's in charge. He would do miracles and say, hey, this is what I'm about. And Jesus would perform miracles. He performed over 30 miracles, including uh, what we would call the three messianic miracles. Okay, this is, I'm going to nerd out for just a second, but I think it's cool. A lot of prophets did miracles, right? Moses had a ministry of miracles. Elijah and Elisha all had ministries of miracles. But Jesus did three miracles that, that people believed were only reserved for God. Only the Messiah, only God in flesh could do these. The three were, one, to cast out a mute demon. Number two, to heal someone born blind. And then number three, heal an Israelite leper. These were the three to be considered like the messianic miracles. And Jesus did all three. He cast out a mute demon. People were, when this happened in the, in, in the gospel narratives, people's mind are like boggled. They're like, how in the world did he just do that? Because there's a whole sort of like, I guess, demonology, for lack of a better word, of like how they would like get the upper hand on, doesn't matter. I'm talking too much. Here Jesus does that third miracle. The point I'm trying to make is that Jesus had a ministry of miracles that proved and validated his ministry. But Jesus, not only did he do, do miracles to reveal God's power, he also would show up and uh, through personal encounters reveal God's heart. Jesus said this. This is one of my favorite verses. It says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus would often have one-on-one encounters with people to show the heart of God. He would show up at the Pharisee's house for dinner. He'd be interrupted by a prostitute, and he would show her love too. He talked to Jews and Gentiles. He talked to Samaritans. He talked to the wealthy. He talked to the poor. He hung out with men and women. You can read a story about Jesus specifically eating with just about every one of those types of people. In fact, the the Gospel of Luke, one commentator said that in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either eating on his way to eat or just finished eating. Like throughout every story in Luke's gospel, he's either actively eating, he just finished, or he's on his way to eat again. That's pretty awesome. If anybody's, I I love to eat, and if Jesus is like, hey, follow me and do what I did, like, okay, I'm in, uh, let's do this. Where are we eating? Whose house? In fact, one story like Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus, you know that story where the little guy's up in the tree? Do you guys know the story? He looks up, and he's like, hey, Zacchaeus, like, I'm coming over. I'm eating at your house. Jesus literally invites himself over to eat at Zacchaeus' house. He just loves to eat. I love it. It's, it's not. Anyways, Jesus would reveal God's heart through personal encounters in a really intimate way through sharing a meal together. 
Now, both the meetings and the miracles were a means for Jesus to show God's heart and power. For some, for some people, they would be healed. They would encounter Jesus, they would be sick, or they would be broken, or they'd be hurting, and Jesus would heal them. For others, he would just eat with them. Both were a way to reveal God's plan in their lives. This is the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes the best way for God to show his power and his plans is to heal someone. Other times it's not. Both actions cause us to have to lean in and trust in him. Whether there's a miracle or not, the heart of God is that he would, be, that he would reveal himself more intimately to the individual. And for whatever reason, this leper story, the way it worked out was that he was going to get healed. But there were a lot of lepers in Israel. We read of Jesus healing this one, and then there's a group of ten. And then that's it that Jesus heals of lepers. So I'm sure there's a lot. There was a lot of people with sick kids that Jesus didn't heal. There was a lot of hungry bellies that Jesus didn't feed. There was a lot of people in the world that were hurting and broken and alone that Jesus didn't go to. But the way, the way he works is the, who he does reveal himself to was perfect for them. And then listen, this is what I love about God. He then calls us to continue what Jesus began. I, you know, I think about sometimes like, well, specifically that story of Jesus feeding 5,000. Well, why wasn't it 25,000? Why didn't Jesus feed everyone forever, all the time? Like, it kind of begs the question, like, even today, like, why are there hungry people in the world? Like, if Jesus can just multiply bread and feed people, why doesn't he just feed people all the time? And then we time out and go, well, God's called you to do something. How has God placed you into this world to maybe literally feed someone or spiritually feed somebody? God's called you to continue his work. And so Jesus sets an example, sets a pattern for us to follow. But the point for tonight is that Jesus reveals to us God's heart. What's God's heart? Well, he's, he, he wants to seek and save out those that are lost. He, he wants to reveal himself by calling us out of old ways of life and into a new way of life. And he does throw by revealing himself either through his power, through a miracle, or through a meeting, some encounter with him that he shows himself to us for our sake.